0: So, Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining. What was I saying?
1: Remember, Arnie, to send me that 20 bucks you owe me. <laughs> Remember, Arnie, to send me that $40 you owe me. Remember, Arnie, to send me that $20 you owe me.
0: <laughs> Always get a receipt.
1: Yes.
2: <laughs> it makes Leonard seem vastly more complicated and less heroic, less heroic than he'd like to seem. She was hot after The Matrix. They shot this after The Matrix had come out and been a phenomenon. So she was a good get.
0: Her career was hot. I never found her attractive. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Teddy, whose real name is John Gerenspol, was the second man in the apartment. Gamble. John Gammel. Gammel? Yeah.
1: yeah. Can't read my own hand. Okay. Like, I don't remember that. Yeah. I I, I
2: wrote down a lot of information. I mean, it was all over my body. I mean, I didn't have enough, you know, body mass to cover all the things that were going on in this movie. But yeah, I never wrote whatever you just said.
0: I turned the M's into R's.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Garrel. Yeah. Real. Now, where was I?
3: Now playing as a Venganza Media Production, copyright 2014. All rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated.
1: What do you want? Have I done something wrong?
3: I can't remember what I've done. You wouldn't believe me anyway. The film discussed in this podcast is the property of its respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Now Playing is not affiliated with the makers or distributors of these films.
0: You don't
2: want the truth. You make up your own truth.
3: The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts, and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. You know, it's great that you... Well, that you're helping me like this. I'm helping you because you help me. If you enjoy Now Playing, please support the show. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website. Or you can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, mouse pads, and more at the Now Playing Cafe Press store. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. Okay, I'll be waiting. And at the NowPlayingPodcast.com homepage, you can find a link to our forums where you can discuss these films, as well as links to NowPlaying's Twitter and Facebook pages, where you can chat with the hosts and read written movie reviews. I've told you this before, haven't I? And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other films, such as Shutter Island, Gangs of New York, The Wolf of Wall Street, Avatar, 2001, A Space Odyssey, The Batman Series, and hundreds more.
1: So next time you see me, will you remember me?
3: I think you will. Come back to nowplayingpodcast.com each week for another in-depth movie review.
2: You know what time it is? It's beer o'clock, I'm buying!
3: Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show! Can I just let myself forget what you've told me? Can I just let myself forget what you've made me do? Do I lie to myself to be happy? In your case, Teddy? Yes, I will.
0: What was I saying? Lest you forget, lest you have a short-term memory lapse and forget, it is donors that make this show possible. Hunting down the DVDs and those versions with all the commentary so we can research. Being able to... See Leprechaun Origins video on demand so we can get the review out on time. All the editing and work that goes in the show, all the cost of the show, the server on which we host the show, none of it's possible without donations. If you're just a... Passive listener, as Stuart was talking about passive watcher, you need to at least thank a donor because without them, we couldn't pay for our servers. Our listenership is increasing. That's a good thing. It increases our cost to keep going, though. Our servers were crashing due to the traffic. So, please, if you enjoy what we do week after week, be it Nolan or Children of the Corn, I can't think of a more drastic change between retrospectives than we've ever done. Please support our show. Even if you can't do the $15, 10 5 whatever you can do, it helps go into the running of this show. I have it tattooed across my chest. I saw
2: Leprechaun Origins because of a donor. And now, strangely, I want to go kill someone. But uh, maybe I'll
0: just go watch Insomnia. That's what we got next week. So Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining. What was I saying? Or if you prefer movies that have a little bit more meat for us to chew on, there's also Lord of the Rings. Nothing against Leprechaun. I love trashy horror, but Lord of the Rings is our silver level donation, and we had some great conversations about those films.
2: Yeah, hobbits, leprechauns, elves, dwarves, trolls, it's all one big party this winter. And
0: yeah, I hope you can join us on the shows. We've had a lot of fun this far. All the details can be found by clicking the banner at the top of nowplayingpodcast.com. And lest you forget, lest you have a short term memory lapse and forget, it is donors that make this show possible. Why don't you come join us for Friday's show?
2: Leprechauns going back to the hood, guys. You're going to say that's less demanding than a Christopher
0: Nolan film?
2: I guess (laughs) we'll have to find out. Yeah, maybe.
0: (laughs) I'll say this. I had to put more work into that podcast. (laughs) But yes, you can hear us talk Leprechaun and the Leprechaun rap. We are coming near the (laughs) end of... Our Leprechaun Donation Series this week, Leprechaun 6, Back to the Hood. And then next week, the big reboot from WWE starring Hornswoggle, Leprechaun Origins. This is available to gold-level donors. Or, if you prefer movies that have a little bit more meat for us to chew on, I'll make it three for three on strong recommends because... I went to this movie just expecting a good crime thriller. I knew it had to do with short-term memory. I don't believe I even knew about the weird editing style. But having seen every Tarantino film in the 90s, as well as all those crime derivatives, this was up my alley. I had not gotten sick of this type of movie by 2001. Lock, stock, two smoking barrels, snatch, memento. I was there for it. But this one above all the others stuck with me. Because not only of the twist, that was enough for the usual suspects, but here, because of the artfulness that went into it, the way it's structured, the rhythm of it, it's almost like music the way it's edited. It has almost a refrain that repeats because the backward scenes always start With the end of the one before, after, it gets very confusing to talk about. But it just has almost a pulse to it as it switches back and forth between the black and white and the color sequences. And the fact that it does have black and white and color sequences, but you look at the color sequences and they're not that colorful. It's a very muted, it's all... White. White is the dominant color here and it flashes in front of you. I mean, this movie just drew me in with its story and its mystery. And I loved peeling back the layers of the onion. And initially what I was wondering is what is Nolan's truth? What does Nolan think? What is Nolan's point here? Who did what to who? But now that I watch it, I see myself reflected about memory and how memory is not an accurate record. Leonard goes on and says, memory cannot be recorded. When cops are solving a crime, they don't sit down and remember what happened. They look for facts. They look for details. But that you do have to remember things a certain way. The fact that, as Leonard says, two witnesses will remember the same event differently. Memory is subjective. It really drives home just some of the base assumptions we make in day-to-day life. And that is tremendous. I loved Memento when I walked out of theaters. I think Every time I watch it, with the exception of chronologically, which was dull. But every time I watch it as Nolan intended us to see it, my appreciation for it deepens. The strongest of recommends, absolutely, go see Memento. Even if you've we've spoiled it, this is one of the rare movies where we can spoil the twist ending and you'll still enjoy the movie versus some of them like Fight Club where you're like, if you haven't seen it, go watch it because the end blows your mind. Here, the whole movie blows your mind. The end is just gravy. So yeah, recommend.
2: Yeah, it's, it's unforgettable. And, and I think that's appropriate for a movie like this. Whether you like it or not, I can't say. You may want a crime film that's less demanding ultimately. If that's the case, why don't you come join us for Friday's show? Leprechaun's going back to the hood, guys. Stewart. I'm going to second what you say, Jacob. It's There are many cool puzzle movies. I like a cool puzzle movie, but the difference between something like Following or Usual Suspects, where you try to figure it out, and then at the end it all comes together, is really what does the puzzle look like with all the pieces are there. To me, it's a rather simplistic portrait when you look at following our usual suspects. Fun to get to, but not really very deep. Kind of a comic booky narrative. Here, this is a powerful drama, a, a real potent psychological profile. I mean, you bring up Rashomon. I think Christopher Nolan reads a lot, too, as an English major. I, I went to the trial I went to Franz Kafka, where Joseph K. is accused of a crime. He doesn't know what he commits, but everyone wants to condemn him for it. I think that this is a noir extrapolation of that book, and I think it's a brilliant one because it can be enjoyed whether you want to see those parallels or not. If you just like a good puzzle, this is a great one. And if you really want to chew on an existential portrait and and to really get into deep, meaningful art movie themes, it's got that too. It's got something for everyone, but it's going to make you work. The only people I wouldn't recommend this to are people that want passive entertainment. If you just want to unwind and solve a mystery, go watch that Shonda Rhimes show. I mean, this requires rigorous attention and i think that demand is what makes it so rewarding at the end but i can recognize it's not for everyone but it's definitely for me highest of recommends one of the best movies i think we've ever covered
0: i'll make it three for three on strong recommends so jacob stewart do you recommend memento jacob
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a film that fascinated me the first time I saw it, and again, watching it, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I love the way that the themes of this film interacted with what was actually going on with my head with memories. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I remember this happens and this is who Teddy really is. And and I realized how unreliable it was. It just made the point of this film so much stronger. And I think that's why this film I could get more excited about than the one last week following where at the end it was just a gimmick. Yeah. Here there's a gimmick, but it reveals so much. It's, It's not pretty what it reveals. I think it's a very nihilistic film that there is no truth that whether it's facts police reports your memories we're all just trying to tell ourselves a story make up who we are a very nichean idea that we're all the ubermen just trying to build ourselves up tell us what our own morality is i i don't want to sound pretentious but you could i i think this is Almost like a modern-day Rashomon, if, if you've ever seen that or read the, read the story, of, you know, where there's a trial and everyone tells what they say is the truth and none of it matches up. I, I, I think it's a, a great deconstruction of, you know, what we think we know and, and how we come to know things. And it's a powerful movie. So, yeah, really very strong recommend for Memento.
0: Stuart.
2: I'll tell you the one thing that does feel like it just comes out of left field for me. It's not Dodd. It's when he hires the female escort to play the role of his wife the first night that he gets into the new room of the Discount Inn. By the way, I love that it's called the Discount Inn. Yes, it sounds like for budgetary reasons, but it's also the place where he discounts all of these, the facts and figures of uh, of the truth. And I think that's just Nolan being clever with his wordplay. But I don't get why he hires this woman to slam the door and recall those memories of the murder unless he thinks it
0: will jostle something free that he wants to know. I took it as he wanted a moment of comfort. He wants to, for a few minutes, believe his wife. Remembering his wife being raped? No, remember his wife alive. Think that she's there. Think that she's in the bathroom. But he can remember those things. Yeah.
2: He can remember all of those memories prior to that. Why would he want to remember the moment she was taken from him?
1: Because I took it as, yeah, like you, Stuart, he thought it would jostle something that he would remember more. Maybe he would remember John G's face or something, but he is reenacting that moment she went in the bathroom, that door was slammed, and she was raped.
0: Yeah. See, I always took it as this was his way of trying to feel close to her and to forget for a moment that she's dead. I think it's really
2: nebulous and I, I love all the thoughts you guys put in here, but I just don't know what it could mean except that it, it makes Leonard seem vastly more complicated and less heroic
0: than he'd like to seem. The fact that it ends with him burning her stuff to try to forget her, you know, to try to get over her. It all goes back to that distance. It all goes back to how can he heal if he can't remember time in between. Time heals all wounds. There's no time for Leonard. So I take this all as him trying to get over the pain. Think about this. Again, to go back to the way I read this, the reason he kills Teddy and the reason he keeps killing at all, he wants to be a killer so that he has a motivation to live with his handicap. But if he could get past that pain, he wouldn't need to kill people anymore. He wouldn't need to hunt John G anymore. If he could stop feeling the
1: freshness of it. I mean, he, he does even say that he feels like if he could kill John G, that it will solve this short-term memory problem that he'll be able to move on with his life. Maybe that's just another lie he's telling himself, though.
2: It is. And I believe that the psychological break that has happened has led to two Leonard's. I mean, there's the Leonard that's the noble guy that remains noble the longer he can go hunt for his wife's killer. And then there's the other guy, the one that I've been talking about that you guys are more hesitant to embrace. And that is the one that is intentionally screwing it up so that he can always be in this state. Yes, in some moments, he would do anything to heal. In other moments, he'll do anything, include killing Teddy, to never know the
0: truth. And strangely, that goes right back to the Memento Mori short story, where a lot of it is told in notes that the main character writes to himself in a different person. Like, I don't know who you are and you don't know who I am, but we're different. And it talk, it actually talks in detail about how men are different. How like a man can be an intellectual during the day and then a sex addict at night. And then, you know, whatever it just it, a person can be a genius and see in a brief moment a flash of insight that could change the world. And the very next moment, that same person is too lazy to actually act on it and decides to eat potato chips. So that kind of goes back to the same thrust that the short story gets. Right. To me, it's there. And the, when I watched it this time
2: and thought about that break, the thought about the fact that Leonard killed first, that intruder, it made me believe that there's another one inside that head other than Leonard. You know, it just brings us back to the warehouse. I think it literally made my brain melt outside my ears the first time I saw this, and it's kind of ending exactly the same way that it began, and I'm like, wait, how can that be possible? But we think that those first scenes where he shoots Teddy are going to happen in the last moments of the film, when he's throwing Teddy around and trying to get answers, but in fact it's just the moment where he realizes he needs to kill teddy in order to keep going that it's just too painful to live with whatever truth teddy could ever throw back at
1: him which is weird because leonard knows he has a condition again this is how much does he really know and not know because if teddy if what he says is to be believed he spills the beans he's you know you actually are the one who killed your wife you re-killed john g a year ago and leonard decides i don't want to remember this Which he wouldn't anyway, but I guess in the moment, in those impulsive moments, that is something he thinks he would remember. And
0: I took it again as he doesn't want to experience the pain, the realization of what Teddy told him. And this is where I really believe Sammy Jankus is a fiction, because when Teddy starts to tell him, you killed your wife. We see the moment, and it's very sweet, of Leonard pinching his wife. But for a brief moment, we see Leonard giving his wife an insulin injection, not a pinch. I think that Teddy's truths are starting to break through the conditioning Leonard has given himself. And he never wants that to happen. He never wants to remember the utter agony of killing the wife who he loved. And so to make sure he never feels that pain again... He'll kill Teddy and he's going to make it so he kills Teddy.
1: Yeah, I, I think we're okay, Stuart. I, I think this is where I differ from you. It's not that killing that guy in the bathroom is what made this different Leonard. It is killing his wife and coming to terms with that. Those memories coming back is what he's running from. And that's why he wants to keep on killing it and lead this different life. So he doesn't, I think that's the memory he wants to escape and not killing some random thief.
2: Yeah, no, I, that's definitely a reading there. I hear what you guys are saying. It was how I took the movie the first time. So, Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Memento Jacob? <laughs> We haven't talked much about Carrie Ann Moss yet, but she is the girlfriend of Jimmy who decides that she can turn him into her own private
0: assassin as well. Carrie Ann Moss. Now, I was definitely getting some big Matrix flashbacks here. I mean, this came out in 2001. You got Carrie Ann Moss and Joe Pantaleono. Not a coincidence. They wanted uh, Dennis Leary for the role
2: and he was unavailable.
0: He was not unavailable. He wouldn't work for the money they offered.
2: Be that as it may, she suggested uh, someone that would, which was her Matrix co-star. She was hot after The Matrix. They shot this after The Matrix had come out and been a phenomenon. So she was a good get. I think the producers saw that as an opportunity to jump on a very popular movie at the time.
0: Nolan didn't want him. Nolan specifically didn't want Pantaleono because he said everybody has a Pantaleono role that comes to mind. He wanted up-and-comers, especially after Brad Pitt fell through as the Guy Pierce role. But, yeah, when Leary said, I'm not working for that, and Pantaleono said, yeah, I'll work for free, that's, yeah.
1: I I was hoping that there was something to the casting with Nolan, because, again, not just telling a story where you have one set of expectations going in, and you find out you're wrong when you're telling this this story about how unreliable truth is basically i mean yeah do that with the casting take the hero of the matrix and make her the most evil bitch ever i hate kirian moss like at first i totally trust her kirian moss she was in the matrix before this she's the good guy she you really can trust her as the writing on the polaroid says but no when you see the length she goes to in this film to manipulate Leonard, what she says to him because she knows he'll just forget it. She is an awful person.
2: Well, then let me defend Natalie here. I'm (laughs) I'm, going to do it. I'm going to say that I actually. (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) I was with you. When you watch it backwards, you see her become something horrible And when you read it chronologically, I actually kind of get it now. I mean, keep in mind, this guy walks into her bar wearing her boyfriend's clothes, driving his jag. She knows he went out for a drug deal, hasn't come back. She knows that there's some weird guy with a memory issue working with a teddy. She's got to be thinking that this guy deserves spit in his beer.
0: Yes, and she also has to be scared, right? We know somebody's going to come looking for that $200,000 and they might go after her for it. That said, there's still no excuse for the way she treats him and how she acts.
2: Oh, there's a definite excuse. She needs to get beat up. So that she can tell him that the person that is come to town to collect the money and or the amphetamines that are in his car doesn't get her. She has to say something provocative enough to get Leonard to hit her. That's all she's really trying to do. She's trying to get his goat so he'll swing at her and he takes the bait.
1: And I get that, okay, her boyfriend Jimmy is dead. He's a drug dealer, so I'm not too sympathetic. There are thing said how they were both dealing drugs out of the bar she was not on- so she's not like an innocent
2: no no and i'm not claiming that i'm just saying her motivations are entirely understandable i don't believe she's telling him what she really thinks of him when she's saying your wife gave you venereal disease and that's why you lost your memory back at her house i think she's trying to say anything she knows that'll get her punched in the face
1: and the way i took it was she she was just okay fine she's upset that her boyfriend's dead she was going to say she was unfiltered and saying, I don't know. I There's other ways you can make yourself look beat up besides talking shit to the dude in front of you to get him to punch you.
0: What she says is so hateful. I mean, even after she gets punched and she comes in with this plan. I mean, the first thing she does when she walks in the Takes house. Takes all the pins. Yeah, this was not inspiration after he agrees not to help her this is i'm walking in and i'm going to manipulate him and call him all these things and then make him take care of my guy for me no, I, no, she's manipulating him.
2: Don't let my defense of her be said that she's not using her in much. Of the sa- She's no worse than Teddy, is I guess all that I'm saying. But I think we have a, a stronger reaction to her because we never saw Teddy say the kinds of things that she does to him. I'm just saying, keep in mind, she says that because she knows she needs to get a shiner. That's the only way that when she walks back in the house and says, Dodd beat me up, that Leonard is going to believe her. And she knows that she's playing into his whole vindication thing. She is intentionally trying to be the wife to him. That's why she ends up sleeping with him. That's why she ends up asking so much about that wife is she's trying to be that for him so that he'll turn around and defend her honor. Just like he's trying to defend his wife's on.
1: I think she just comes off so much more manipulative than Teddy does. Again, Teddy, okay, he's a crooked cop, but they're killing bad guys. They're killing drug dealers. Sure, they're taking their money. They're, they're breaking the law. I, what she does takes so much more advantage of him than Teddy does.
0: But he's still going after a drug dealer. I mean, no matter what, but you said they sleep together. I watched that very closely. I think they literally sleep together as in they cuddle. Yes. I don't think they fuck.
2: Correct. Yeah, I think that she's recreating the night of the murder. I mean, keep in mind, Leonard constantly lives in the anxiety that his wife is just over there in the bathroom and that any minute she could come out or that she needs him to come in there with a gun. That's sort of his eternal feelings. And so she finds out that story, she uses that to her advantage. Like I said, she is going to protect herself by being Being that person to him now in this situation, I don't blame her. Dodd is going to kill her. I believe that very much. Now, he didn't mark up her face yet, but I believe he's capable of it. And I think he's in town to get those amphetamines and or the money from a guy that's never coming back. Now, I'll admit she's cold. She doesn't care that Jimmy's dead, but she's trying to cover herself. And I understand that.
1: And as the only person I didn't watch the film in chronological order or read the screenplay in chronological order, I think that Dodd story does get a little bit lost in all of this because it's there for a few segments. I, I don't know. I never really associated it. I, that was just someone coming after Leonard, you know, because he had that car. He, maybe he had some money or some drugs. I don't know. That, that Dodd story, I never read too much into what the motivation was there. But hearing you guys talk about it, maybe because you saw it both ways, it makes a little bit more sense.
0: Yeah, Dodd was obviously coming after the Jag. And it made more sense chronologically is that he was coming after the Jag, Primarily because he wants to know what happened to Jimmy and the $200,000, so... Yeah, that's the important
2: tie. And yeah, it's not totally clear. I mean, because we see him first as a beat-up guy in the closet and then work our way back. Yeah, he does just seem like a kind of interloper. But no, when you rewind it and replay it the other way, yeah, he's a thug here to collect a pound of flesh from Natalie and so yeah if she has to say a few harsh things to Leonard to get him to go I think she wants him to kill the guy I think she thinks that if if she is so much like his wife that he'll kill the guy just like he's trying to kill John G but even he's not willing to go that far he can sniff that something's wrong there and it helps that Teddy doesn't like Natalie and tries to convince him
0: that he's being used which goes right against your theory that he's a depraved killer who just wants to kill for killing's sake if that's the case he'd kill Dodd too.
1: Well, yeah, Natalie should have said Dodd was a John G and then he would have killed him.
0: And I'm not sure that he wouldn't. I mean, Arnie, it's just a
2: theory, but it's the one that I'm going with. It's it's a reading that I have that makes sense to me. I, I understand. I just, since we're talking this through, wanted to bring up that discrepancy. Yeah, it is a discrepancy. And any theory you posit there's a discrepancy. The movie is designed to be contradictory, but I'm going with what makes the most sense to me. But yeah, one wonders, if Teddy wasn't around, would he have killed Dodd? Would he have ended up going that route? I don't know. Maybe. I'll tell you the one thing that does feel
0: like it just comes out of left field for me. It's not Dodd. Why does he make Jimmy strip? I watched this movie three times. Once chronologically, two times normally for this. I still don't know why he wants Jimmy's clothing.
1: I thought it's because he was going to shoot him, and he was going to get blood Jimmy's blood on his clothing, so he wanted clean clothes to change into. Because we do see him at the beginning of this film, the end of the story chronologically. I mean, when he shoots teddy I mean he he does have blood on his face so the, he says a line that he does need clean clothes after he kills him what he says is he doesn't
0: want to get blood on the clothes I took a, as those clothes are too nice to get stained <laughs> I mean I just don't it makes I understand that narratively it helps to have him driving around in the dead man's car and the dead man's clothes so that Natalie can confuse him for her boyfriend and know that this guy's coming in and wearing this guy's clothes. He'll find a note in the pocket thinking it's for him when it's for Jimmy to meet Natalie at the bar. I understand how this drives the story, but given that he thinks he's there to see his wife's killer. I just don't understand why he makes his wife's killer strip. (laughs) I think that once he gets to that point of killing his wife's killer
2: and he's reminded of the real truth of that situation, he wants to do whatever he can to dissociate from his own identity. He wants to be the other guy. He's doing whatever he can to throw his own mind off the trail. So I'll become Jimmy Grant's. And so I'll take his suit, I'll take his
0: identity, I'll take his car. I mean, wouldn't
2: you rather drive around in a Jag than a blue
0: pickup? Well, I think he does that to leave himself those bullets and those clues. I think that that's, when he leaves the pickup, he's already decided I'm going to kill Teddy here. I think that that's specifically there for the bullets that he leaves in the passenger seat.
2: So what I wonder is, are there other Teddies? Because he's going to succeed in his aim. This movie is about plotting a murder, and we find out by the end of this movie's runtime that it was Leonard plotting to trick himself into thinking that Joe Pantoliano's character is his wife's killer. But now that Teddy is taken out of this equation, where will he go next? What could he possibly do on his own, he will have to find someone else to guide him towards other red herring.
1: Yeah, he would have to find another crooked cop, and I think that's going to be tougher than finding another John G with 200,000 bucks in the back of their jag.
0: It's probably not the first person to manipulate him. In this movie, we see him manipulated twice. Natalie manipulates him, which should be setting us up that Teddy is a manipulator. Cause we think Teddy's on the level, but we see Natalie, you know, treat him, call him a retard and just say, I'm going to say all this to you and I may even fuck you and you just won't know cause you can't remember. And then she gets him to go beat up a guy for him. So we see two people, one, a total stranger. Everyone's a total stranger
1: to Leonard. We see Bert, who runs the hotel. He rents him two different rooms so he could get double the rent. That's right. So three people screw him over. It's likely to believe
0: tons of people have screwed him over. That said... I wonder how long Teddy's really been in his life. I mean, he has photos of everyone, but he we see him take the photo of Teddy. If Teddy's been with him for over a year, and however long since the death of his wife... Why doesn't he have that photo already? Yeah, good point. It probably hasn't
2: been that long. Or as we see, he likes to burn photos when he thinks that it's it's over. I mean, he doesn't have a photo of Jimmy Grant's anymore. At the beginning of the movie, he would know kind of a lot if he had kept that photo, but he chose to burn it when he chose to burn Teddy, so to speak.
0: But he obviously was with Teddy because Teddy took the one Polaroid that matters, the one he couldn't burn, and because it's a Polaroid, A, what a moment in time for this movie to be made. You couldn't do that today with digital cameras and iPhones. But B, that Teddy has the photo of Leonard happy after a kill. We'll assume it's the kill of the killer and he slips it under the door. So he has a relationship with Teddy. But yes, for some reason, he burned the photo of Teddy before the black and white sequences. But yet at the end of the color sequences, he writes, don't believe his lies. It is a little confusing as to how they'd have a relationship and not already be somewhere tattooed on him as like Teddy, the cop who will help you.
2: And yes, he refers to himself as Teddy because he doesn't want his real name, John Gammel, to be known. Is it just a coincidence that this second man has the same initials that he does? I mean, I would legally change my name if I were going to work <laughs> with somebody that wants to kill a John G. And my name was John G.
0: I think it is a coincidence because, I mean, he says it so flippantly. God, even I'm a John G. I mean, I don't think that he thinks much of it. His mom called him Teddy. I truthfully think he's hiding his name because he's a crooked cop that too. And if somebody goes to the cops and goes, John Gamel stole my $200,000 or John Gamel helped kill this drug dealer, he'd be in shit with IA, whereas if they go, it's some guy named Teddy then why would they link it to him?
2: And you see that, he's like, don't write officer on the photo when he takes the photo of him this time.
1: Yeah, he's undercover.
2: There probably were lots of other photos I think that he poses in a way that leads me to believe they've gone through this routine a lot. They probably get burned or destroyed over time is is my guess but I'll go along with the idea that they've been doing it a while and that yeah by the end of this Leonard's going to need a new guy to guide him maybe he'll be guided by Natalie we haven't talked much about Carrie Ann Moss yet but my belief is is that once he killed that first
0: man he has a bloodlust mm, I don't I don't I don't see that in him I see that he has conditioned himself to be a good fighter and that he wants to have a purpose. I don't think that he necessarily cares that his purpose is killing people so long as he can keep feeling a drive to exist and not just wallowing. One of the most poignant lines of this movie is, if you get no distance, how can you ever heal? For him, his wife was just raped slash killed minutes ago. He will never be able to get away from that. He needs to turn it into anger in order to survive himself. It's the lies you tell yourself. That's the whole motif of this movie is the lies you tell yourself in order to exist. He's not doing this because he just wants to kill. He's not a serial killer for the fun of
1: killing. Even Teddy says, you're not a killer. That's why you're so good at it. Yeah. is because he doesn't have those instincts He or that he doesn't have, I, I guess, the training or whatever. He's just going off pure instinct. Yeah.
2: No, no, and I believe that that insurance salesman, that the person that he was, is exactly the person you're describing. But as Teddy constantly underlines, it's not who he is now. Who is he now? I don't know. I guess we'll agree to disagree on this part. I think he's a serial killer.
1: Oh, yeah, I think quote-unquote now, yes, he has become something different after he killed his wife, after he went and and killed the first John G. Yes, I think he has conditioned himself to become something to deal with his own killing of his wife.
0: But that was never an intent. It was never a bloodlust to make him kill his wife.
2: No,
1: no, no. I don't think it was a bloodlust. I think this is how he's coping with the realization that he killed his wife. If he does know that, who knows?
2: We'll agree to disagree. Let's talk about someone (laughs) that we can agree he killed, Jimmy Grants. We see it. It's there in the basement. It's at the end of the film or the center of the story, however you want to look at it. It is the Jimmy G of this movie, the John G that he is always searching for, just happens to be a drug dealer who has come out there to sell amphetamines to Teddy. Is Jimmy a short for John? No,
1: it's short for James.
0: Yeah, I'm like, I've, what he has tattooed on his leg is John G. I'd be looking for John, Jonathan, maybe a Jack, never a Jimmy.
2: Agreed. This is one question that I can't wrap my r- mind around is I understand that there's a lot of Johns out there in the world and probably a lot of John G's out there in the world, but are there that many John G criminals that you can knock over in California and make a profit on?
1: <laughs> Come on, Gotti. That, that's a, you got all the Italian mobster names, I guess.
2: <laughs> I don't know. I, it seems like a limited market. Perhaps if I saw <laughs> the statistics, I would think otherwise, but if they are sticking Close to California and that's presuming a lot I recognize but if they're not going to take this show all over the country I do think that you'll run through your John G criminals with $200,000 in their car pretty quick.
0: Yeah, it's it seems pretty narrow and one thing I don't think any of us can even begin to fathom is how many times this has happened. Is this the first time Teddy's pulled this scam after they killed the guy who broke into his house? Or is this the 80th time he's pulled this scam? And was it even John G? Or are these more lies that have been implanted in his head since the beginning?
1: Yeah, we're told a year ago he killed the original one. We don't know it was a year ago. That could be a lie.
2: Yeah, the time is completely fractured at this point. It could be, I mean, he doesn't look that different from when he was married to his wife. So it hasn't been years and years and years, but it could have been a couple years out from that murder of the wife.
0: I do love, though, that when the movie starts, he has faint scratches on his face. And as the time goes backwards, those wounds get fresher and fresher.
2: Yeah, and when we see the black and white, he doesn't have them. So we're curious to know when that's going to occur. There's a lot of that in this movie. This movie is filled with those neat, a lot of nuances where, you, yeah, he's dressed one way in black and white. He's dressed another in color. How are they going to make these twists? It's usually quite fun the way that Nolan does it. And he does a lot of it at the end of the film or the center of the story, as it were, when it goes from black and white to color. He got those scratches when he killed Jimmy
0: Grants. Why does he make Jimmy strip? because we haven't told the listeners who may not have watched this movie just go watch the fucking movie but sammy jenkins wife couldn't deal with this and so she started doing cruel things she would hit her husband she would have him hide all the food in the house and then let him start to starve to see if hunger would make him remember where the food was that he had hidden and so she did all these things is this stuff that leonard's wife did to leonard And that's why the memories of all of her looking sad and upset.
2: I'm going to say yes. And the reason is it's way too coincidental for me to believe that Sammy had this exact same thing happen that Leonard did. The fact that we never meet Sammy, that he's just a story that is told, leads me to believe that he's a lie. And that, yes, the way that he is framing this, the way he's framing the murder of his own wife, is that he didn't know and yeah, shot her up with too much insulin. She's diabetic and we'll find out that in order to give him his final exam, she requested, uh, you know, every couple minutes, another shot, seeing if he would remember having already given it. And he did not. And she died. That either happened to Sammy Jenkins and his wife or it happened to Leonard and his wife. I believe it
0: happened to the lad. I think it did too. I think Nolan gives it away in one shot where I feel he's too obvious. He does a Fight Club cut. You know how in Fight Club early on, you get those flashes of Tyler Durden. We see Sammy Jankus after his wife is dead, sitting in a mental institution. And Nolan loves to do the subliminal flashes. He does it all the time in this movie. But there's a flash of a moment where it's not the actor playing Sammy Jankis. It's Guy Pierce in that chair in that hospital gown looking there. And also the fact that Leonard says he thought Sammy was a liar because he saw recognition. But then the very next scene we see is him pretending to recognize Teddy when he has no idea who Teddy is. So I agree with you. Initially, I thought that was too dark. I didn't think it went there, but I loved the mind fuck of it. But after watching this movie many times, I do think he got hit in the head. I do think that he has short-term memory loss. But I also think he killed his wife and is having real trouble dealing. And he's conditioning himself to forget. We can agree on that part then, I think. We're all on the same page?
1: Yeah, what really tells me that he's the one who gave his wife the insulin overdose there's a moment in one of the black and white segments where he's going to tattoo himself but he looks at that needle and it's not like i'm about to tattoo myself i don't know there's a different look in his eye when he looks at that needle which tells me it's got he's got to be flashing back to those insulin shots right
2: so i think at the center we're we're all in agreement yay as confusing (laughs) as this conversation may sound i think what we have all concluded all three of us is that The Sammy Jenkins story is some form of storytelling to make the main character feel better about a murder or an accidental murder that he committed. I believe that he did it on purpose. Arnie, it sounds like you're clinging to the idea that he does have short-term
0: memory, that his psychiatric profile is still this Korsakoff syndrome. Yeah, I mean... Again, because of the first-person narration, the only thing we have to believe is that the voiceover narration isn't a lie. He's not trying to con us or himself. There's too many instances of him not knowing where he is for him to be truly faking that. It it makes no sense for him to fake it when he's in the middle of a chase. One of the funniest moments of this movie, (laughs) I laughed out loud when I saw this in theaters, is it starts, we're just in the middle of a chase. He's like, what am I doing? I'm running. I'm chasing this guy. Then he gets shot at. Oh, he's chasing me.
1: (laughs) Or there's even the scene. He wakes up in a bathroom holding a a bottle of wine. He's like, I don't feel drunk. And then you go to the segment before he actually grabbed that to use as a weapon and just forgot while sitting on the toilet waiting for someone to come into the room.
0: With this chase, I'm thinking these movies are kind of like a where's Waldo? Where's Batman? Did you guys see the Batman and Superman and the comic book store? No,
1: I I missed the comic book store in this one. Ah. Yeah
0: when he's stealing the car after he runs away from the car then he runs back to the car he peels out right across the street to a comic book store and prominent batman logo
1: well he does have there there's someone that will appear in batman begins in this film i noticed bert the hotel clerk that's right he's oldman's partner i don't remember that but i remember him from halloween 2 strangely enough yeah so we're seeing the seeds of casting i guess going on here for who he's getting ready if he ever gets that batman gig Guy
0: Pierce couldn't have used a more douchey voice.
1: <laughs> well, let me rephrase then. I,
2: I'm saying he has this thing, too. You're right. It wouldn't make sense. He's not trying to con everybody else and, and laughing on the inside. He thinks he has this condition, but it goes back to, is it physiological or psychological? This guy was in a nuthouse. This guy had a, a break from reality. I think that it's psychologically induced on him and comes up at certain moments. And that, yes... It's very clear that he decides to frame Teddy to murder because Teddy is reminding him too much of this painful truth. That for whatever reason, he wants to remain under the delusion that he's a good guy looking for an unfound killer than that he is an opportunist and a a terrible person that goes around killing people to get money.
1: Yeah, I mean, by the end of this film, it's all about creating your narrative that explains who you are. It doesn't have to be based on truth. So I I do think he's more manipulative than I think if someone actually had this condition or if it was a physical version of this condition right. w- would let on. He has some control over it.
0: It's psychological. And that goes back to my very first question of if this truly was a physiological situation – How could he even survive outside of an institution? If it is psychological and he's letting certain memories slip through and that's how he's able to misremember his own wife's death, that would make sense. Yeah. I think we're in agreement then. then, Yay. Two for two.
2: Nolan's
1: right. Maybe there is a real answer. Maybe we'll discover it. (laughs) He
2: killed his wife and this is a psychological condition that he's battling.
0: But he killed his wife because he was suffering from the condition. Right. Yes. Well, maybe. He did. He uh, had the condition before he killed his wife, otherwise he wouldn't have killed his wife. One thing he says when talking about Sammy, when he talks about the death, is his wife knew without a doubt he loved her. So whether he's talking about Sammy or whether he's talking about himself, whoever killed their wife loved her and didn't want to see her dead.
2: Right. I'm not sure whether I'm ready to commit
0: to the idea that he did not know he killed his wife. He may know he did, but he didn't know he had just injected her with insulin when he injected her again with insulin. And that's what I'm saying. I don't know whether that's a fault of the psychological condition
2: or whether he now has a psychological condition to hide the fact that he killed her on purpose. I'm not willing to commit to that. I see no reason at all in this movie why he would want to kill his wife. Uh, my belief is is that once he killed that first man, he has a bloodlust.
0: Well, discussing Teddy's truth, in watching interviews with Nolan, he said he knows the truth. There is a truth to this. This isn't one of those stories that is so delicately balanced that either answer could be true. He said he knows what the truth is, and careful viewers will see the truth and know the truth. He said the same with Inception. And he was right. We need to talk about Inception again sometime. (laughs) Stupid wedding ring. But... The other thing here is the director's commentary, oh, that tricky son of a bitch. You listen to the director's commentary, and you get to the end, and he says, Teddy's lying, right? Eject that disc, put it back in. You get to that same section of commentary. He says, Teddy's telling the truth. (laughs) They did branching commentary tracks that are randomly inserted based upon the disc loading. There are four commentary tracks for that chapter. One in which he says Teddy's lying, one in which he says Teddy's telling the truth, one in which he doesn't talk about Teddy at all. It's messed up how he plays with us.
2: Yeah, basically, he's just goading you to watch his movie again and again and again. I don't believe there are conclusive answers. It's fine that he has one, and maybe he does. But for me, the appeal of the piece lies in its ambiguity. And I think that if you're confused, or if you, quote, don't get it, don't feel so bad. I think that that's okay. It's by design.
1: I agree. I think the point of this film is to show you that whether it's writing, whether it's memory, whether it's what you consider facts by someone in a lawful position, all of it's unreliable. It's a very nihilistic film to me when you get to the end.
0: I agree. I mean, watching this film for this review, it occurred to me this whole movie could be the fantasy of a guy sitting in an institution. It could
2: be, yes. I tend to not like that kind of storytelling, but yes, if you do, yeah, you can definitely write it that way. There are so many coincidences about what happened to Sammy Jenkins. And what is happening in this story? There's so many motifs that carry over that he mentions at one point that we all need mirrors to remind us of who we are. The fact that that moment of memory loss happens when he's flying into the mirror. There's just so many things that lead me to believe that we can't conclusively match up Sammy Jenkins and who he was as an insurance investigator to who he is now. That's a theme that Teddy keeps bringing up. That was, you're telling yourself, who you were then. You've conditioned yourself to keep telling you you're that same noble gentleman that wants to protect his wife. What he has become, I'll go ahead and share a theory that came to me upon this watching. I believe that there was an attacker that broke into their house and attacked his wife and he killed him. He got a gun and he shot him, and then through the course of whatever, he snapped. He may not have been literally thrown into a mirror. He talks later about how we need mirrors to remind ourselves of who we are. That might have been metaphor. That might have been the way that he remembers it. But something shattered in his identity after he shot that man and killed that man. And I believe after that point, he has a killing instinct. And we will see him throughout this story showing that again and again. He's constantly choking Teddy. He's constantly showing that he can beat up people, that if he were just a insurance nerd, I wouldn't think he'd have the prowess to do that. I think that there's a dark side to him, and I think that if we're to believe some of the things that come out in the conclusion, this is what led him to kill his own wife.
1: I even doubt that, Leonard is his name. I, I do think he's trying to distance himself from whatever he was, trying to change his persona, because if you notice, okay, there's Sammy, and what do people keep calling Leonard? They all want to call him Lenny. It, very similar to Sammy, and it feels like Leonard is like the furthest you could get from Sammy, and, and he again, there's that distancing there. There's, there is something, he knows something's going on. We, we see that by the end of this film. He's conditioning himself to become something that he wasn't before. He is changing. He has some kind of control over who he is. And I think that's a
2: really important line for me in putting my profile together. He says at one point, my wife called me Lenny. I hated when she did that. Who knew he hated his wife?
1: There is a scene where she's reading a book and he's like, haven't you read that a thousand times? And There there, there is some contention there. You feel some friction in that marriage. Love that scene.
0: And there's another scene where he's remembering his wife. This is before we know Natalie's an uber bitch. They're at the diner and she's like, Tell me about your wife. Really remember her. And when he remembers her and he's looking at her, every scene, she looks like she's on the verge of tears. I wonder if he's remembering after he was hit in the head. And this is when she might be doing what we are told Sammy Jenkins' wife did. Because we haven't told the listeners who may not have watched this movie, just go watch the fucking movie. But yeah. this is now playing Explains Memento. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I do think we have to explain what we
2: We think think we saw (laughs) in order to talk about how it impressed us. Because I think this is a movie where everyone is going to have a different impression. And it's meant to to give a, a Rorschach impression to the viewer that's going to be unique. But my impression is that these flashbacks tell us there was one man that attacked his wife. And that the second one, I don't know, if the police don't think he exists, I don't either.
1: Yeah, I had a hard time understanding if there was a second guy, when you see this sequence, the guy gets shot, I'm like, okay, he's dead, but then someone attacks, I'm like, did he just graze him? And then did Leonard trip and hit his own head? It is not clear where that second guy, if there was a second one, where he came from, where he was hiding, what's going on. Even the facts that we can say we know, we don't really know.
0: But... Again, I hate to go back to Teddy because Teddy, as I mentioned in the summary, is a criminal. No, I, I,
1: I could go with Teddy by the end.
0: But Teddy said that they found the second man and Leonard killed him a year before the events in this movie. Oh, that's right. So Teddy was the cop who believed Leonard and worked with Leonard and thought Leonard would remember when he killed the guy. I don't see Teddy having a reason to lie at this moment at what is the end or the middle chronologically of the film. He tells Leonard, you killed the guy a year ago, and since then, you've just been hunting for other guys I've put you on. So, that indicates there were two men. Leonard was right about that. Most of the cops didn't believe it. Teddy, the crooked cop, did. They found the second junkie. Leonard killed him a year ago. And we have that picture of him smiling and bloody, pointing to the spot on his heart where he has not put a tattoo, because that way he can put it over his heart for his wife to say... I did it. Right. But again, let's
2: talk about Teddy. I think we've framed the murder and the death of the wife as it's understood through much of the movie. And then at the conclusion of the film, we're left with alternate perspectives. But for much of the movie, this is what we understand happened to Guy Pierce that made him get this mental condition, that made his wife die, that drove him to find John G. Teddy. Why would this cop assign to his case? If indeed he is the man he proclaims to be, why would he be using him now except to profit off of what bad situation
1: I do believe Teddy is a dirty cop, which is weird that I still believe him because I don't like dirty cops, but yeah, he's a dirty cop. He almost has altruistic intentions when they go after the original John G, if there is one, a year ago, according to this film, but then he kept using him to pull these other schemes. You know, we're going to find out about Jimmy, and they killed him because he had $200,000 in his car that they could split.
0: And, well, Teddy says split until yeah. Leonard has a forgets. memory he and... <laughs> The next thing you know, keep in mind when we see Leonard before he takes Jimmy's car and clothes, he's driving a beat up pickup and wearing flannel. He doesn't look like he just got a hundred thousand.
2: Yeah. And I love the fact that Teddy throughout this movie at any point in the timeline is always trying to get him out of that jag.
0: Yeah, that's what I got watching it chronologically that I didn't ever get from the backwards is Teddy's goal is the car. All he wants is what's in that trunk. Anytime he shows up and is like, Lenny, all he wants is the keys to the car. And it's so subtle the way the movie is framed. Watch it chronologically. It's shouted at you. I see that it comes up a
2: lot. I think there's two reasons for it. I believe for much of the movie, he's just worried that Guy Pierce is going to out himself. He's driving around in a dead man's clothes, in a dead man's car. There are people that want that man's money. That's just dangerous. That's just drawing unnecessary attention to Guy Pierce.
0: And he does have a picture of Teddy in his pocket who whoever hunts him down might find. Right,
2: that's true as well, yes. His name is associated with the Memory Man.
0: Although a fake name. His name is not Teddy. Right, and we'll talk
2: about that in just one second, but I do think you're right. Ultimately, if he could ever get that jag and those car keys away from Leonard, I think he would split. I think he would cut his losses. He has been using this guy who isn't a killer as his unexpected assassin for an unknown amount of time.
1: And it even sounds like they've been moving around. Like, Harry's like, I told you to go up north. Yeah. I'm not sure what's... I guess it shows Nevada at one point. So you could hide out in Nevada. That license plate, at least, was Nevada.
2: Leonard Shelby is from San Francisco. To me, this looked like L.A. I know it was shot in L.A. Okay. Teddy even has a California license plate. I think he may have been a California cop who he knows drug dealers, right? He knows of situations that he could profit from all the time. So if you send in a guy that's the least likely assassin and use him to take dirty people out, you could just profit off of that.
0: And Nolan specifically said he didn't want it to be any named city or state. He wanted this to be an anywhere kind of noir film.
2: Sure. The whole point is to be disoriented. That's key. If you are confused, Nolan is happy. He wants that feeling to permeate. And I don't think if you watch this movie a hundred times, it goes away. There's contradictory information keyed into here that will always make this somewhat frustrating.
1: And what I think one of the great things about this film is it's all about someone who can't retain their short-term memory. This is a film where you have to have short-term memory throughout. You always have to, okay, what happened in the segment before that this segment is now setting up and also is going to reveal? Like, this is an exercise all about short-term memory.
0: Well, discussing Teddy's truth. Jacob, you said he would be in a mental institution. According to things that came out at this time, the website for this movie was canonical, co-scripted by Nolan, and it indicated police files that Leonard is an escapee from a mental institution. Which is from the story, right? Yes. In the story, the character was in a mental institution and escaped to find his killer. And in this case, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, if you have someone like this, you'd probably have to put them in some kind of long-term care.
1: And we'll talk about how different Sammy and Leonard really are. And we know Sammy went to an institution. So I think you could draw some conclusions there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's in the movie itself. If you look real fast, sometimes when he's milling through that police paperwork, there is a psychiatric evaluation mixed up in there. That's on him. That's about him. It seems awfully coincidental that we have this rare condition that almost no one ever gets, and that Leonard and a man that he investigated when he was working for an insurance company both happened to get it. I mean, that brings up unreliable narrator to me. Unreliable narrator is a big device in literature. Christopher Nolan is an English major. I think that he's trying to bring that trope into cinema here. We aren't to trust at least one of them. Either Sammy or Leonard or both
0: are con men. Right. I mean, we're going to just agree there is a Sammy, right? From the revelations Teddy spouts at the end, it's not that there is no Sammy. There Fact is, there is a Sammy, and Leonard investigated him.
1: Is that a fact? I was wondering that by the end. (laughs) Solipsism. (laughs)
2: How do we know anything, really? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It is a theme of this movie. I am going to go with Arnie, though. It happened. For the sake of our conversation.
1: I believe the rape and murder happened by the end. I'm not so sure about Sammy. Because, yeah, the stories... what, What are the chances? Again, when I was looking at Wikipedia... It's like 0.8 to 3% of the population, world population, suffers from this condition.
0: But what Teddy says at the end is Sammy Jankis was a case Leonard investigated. Okay. And Leonard proved him to be a con man. Yep. He was a single man. He had no wife, but he was a con man trying to pull a scam on the insurance agency.
1: Okay, so Sammy was a con man, but he has superimposed his story with Sammy. Okay.
0: That is what Teddy says at the end. Do we believe Teddy? Teddy's a scumbag
1: thief. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I think the interesting thing is with this. Everyone that, as the movie moves along, the people I trust, I distrust more. And the people I distrust, you know, you get Joe Pantoliano. I, I don't trust the guy. Is he ever a good guy? I guess in Daredevil, is kind of a good guy. But he's usually a, a mobster in Matrix that came out the year before. He was the bad guy. I haven't been able to trust him since he played Guido the Killer Pimp in Risky Business. <laughs> So, but I, by as this movie progresses or degresses, I'm not sure. I believe him more and more, and of course, Guy Pierce and Carrie Ann Moss less and less.
2: I will say this I believe that this incident happened to Sammy Jenkins, and I believe that it inspired Guy Pierce in some way. You could either look at it as poetic justice that God gives him a condition that he denied a claim for somebody else. But I think it's probably more accurate to say that if you were thinking of committing a criminal act per se, you would get a wealth of ideas about how to fool everyone
0: on doing that by studying insurance claim and frauds. Okay, I'm going to disagree with you because a lot of this movie, almost too much of this movie, is told from the point of view of Leonard's internal monologue. This is very much a first-person story. If Leonard was completely faking, I don't think he would lie to himself. Now, the question about the Sammy Jenkins case is never that Leonard thought Sammy was faking like a con man this is leonard's point of view teddy says he's a con man leonard doesn't think he's a con man the question is is it a physical brain damage causing sammy's memory loss or is it a psychological issue which means i mean he's mentally ill he still doesn't remember but it's not a physical condition i don't think there's any part of leonard that remembers when his memory is lost otherwise if he was faking he'd only be faking to fool teddy and to fool natalie and those around him really to fool the cops for what he's doing he loses his memory he has a real condition that was began when he was hit on the head
1: for me the question is i think he has a condition it's how much of it can he control or how real is it and as we Again, progressing this story as we find out how it begins, I wonder more and more. There are things he doesn't remember, but he's also manipulating himself. Yes, and that is a deliberate act on his
0: part, but I do believe he has a memory loss condition. That I'm completely in favor of. The only question I have coming out of the Sammy Jenkins story, did Leonard kill his own wife? I think so.
2: Yeah, that's what I'm uh, alluding to here. What we can know about the death of the wife is based on flashbacks that happen in both timelines, is the idea that the last memory that Leonard has is that his wife got out of bed, went to the bathroom, and was attacked. He only sees her wrapped in a shower curtain. How very Hitchcock of him. In fact, there's some really psycho camera moves when they do show us this. But he goes with a gun into that bathroom. He shoots one man. And I think we only see one man. He's in wearing black. He's got a white, it's almost like a pillowcase over his head. Maybe a black hat. And he is on top of his wife. He is shot and then something happens. He is thrown into a mirror. I think that's an important symbol. We'll come back to that later. Falls on the ground, bleeding from the head. And as his memory is going, he is staring at his wife's face, gasping perhaps her last
0: breath through that shower curb. That's what we know. We can agree on that, right? Yes, I think so. What we don't even know, though, we see it But was there a second man that because the police per Leonard don't even think there was a second man because in order for there to be a second man, he would have had to been so clever as to swap weapons with his dead partner and then run. And these are junkies. What we're ending
2: up finding out about them, at least according to Teddy, is that these are people that were high on drugs and who broke in there to get money and took advantage of a woman they thought was living alone.
0: This is now playing Explains Memento. <laughs>
2: <laughs> now, I hate amnesia stories. I got to say, this pissed me off. I was watching the TV series 24 And when they gave Keith Sutherland's wife amnesia for a couple hours so they could put her in peril, I mean, that kind of stuff just pisses me off. It's a lazy mythical, right? No one, this never happens to anyone.
1: It never works like this. I spent the day on Wikipedia looking up all the different amnesias. There's something kind of like this, but you know it never works out like this in real life.
0: No, it's not like that in real life. There actually is a sedative or an anesthetic they give. My brother-in-law had to have this procedure where they had to stretch his throat open and they gave him medicine that would just create a memory block. He would not remember what happened, but it all happened. My sister could hear him screaming in pain down the hall. He was like, nothing ever happened, no memory. So you can can do things like that, but it's not as it's portrayed on Melrose Place.
2: Yeah, too often it's just the cheap, screenwriting device to help you out or to make it more fun. I, I shouldn't say I probably enjoyed movies with amnesia in it, but it is a hoary device. However, I want to just point out Koroskov's syndrome, as this condition that Guy Pierce has is labeled, is a real legit thing. Psychiatrists have signed off on this. They're saying that this is accurate. This could actually happen. I don't know how, and I hope that I never know why, but they're working in some realm of reality here. This isn't just a device of Christopher Nolan.
1: And I'll say, I don't mind if it's not 100% medically accurate. I don't expect it to be. Like last week, okay, I know Nolan, I know this film is going to give me a puzzle. Does that puzzle pay off? And and ultimately, that's what's important to me. What do they do with this gimmick? Is it just going to be a gimmick in the film, or... Is it going to reveal something about the character or, again, like all great art, like I'd expect Nolan to bring, reveal something about us, the viewer? And so I'm willing to give these gimmicks a pass if something greater is done with them.
0: I agree. That said, I'd just like to have this conversation up top and get it over with. Is the premise flawed? If this is a real existence, how could you ever possibly live because you'd just be living the same 10 minutes over and over again, right? There would be no way. I mean, I know they talk about conditioning and you can condition yourself like riding a bike to have muscle memory, but there's no way he would ever be able to function. Every... Minute of his life, he would just be in the aftermath of the attack he suffered in the bathroom, right? Mm, not necessarily.
2: He works out a system. What we learn here is that he has a way of quickly orienting himself to his present Confusion, as it were. Yeah, it's like waking up. He's oftentimes portrayed in this movie in a bed, disoriented. But within a few minutes of talking to himself and looking at his body art, looking at his Polaroids, he can get back to where he needs to.
1: I do think it's key that they bring up the conditioning thing for us to buy into this condition in the film. We'll learn about Sammy Jankis, who suffered similarly from some kind of amnesia, but he wasn't able to condition himself. So I, I think if you couldn't condition yourself, then yes, it would be continuously like every 10 minutes. OK, I, I don't know what's happening. He would be in a mental institution. I think because they introduced that concept of conditioning, we could buy that this character could be active in trying to pursue some type of goal.
2: He can't make new memories. They all stop. But he remembers how to drive a car. He remembers how to inject insulin, which is, I guess, why he can create a a ballpoint pen tattoo
1: homemade
0: kit uh, that he does here.
1: Perhaps he spent some time in prison. Anything before the accident, he remembers.
0: He may or may not remember how to inject insulin. We'll have to discuss that. But, yes, anything before the accident. But I don't know. If I never had a tattoo... And all of a sudden, I looked down and saw ink on my arm. I think I spent the next 10 minutes going, where the hell did I get a tattoo? And then next thing I know, I hear a car door slam. And I'm like, oh, where the hell did I get a tattoo? I mean, I'll go with it. I love this movie. I'll give it its narrative conceit. But if you sit and you think about it as in a real world scenario, I think not only would he be institutionalized, he'd spend his whole life going, where am I? Well, he does.
2: I I think that is how he spends this movie. He spends his whole existence trying to find the killer of the woman that he loved that was attacked.
0: Right. But how could he even know the police gave up
1: that search? That's what. Well, he has the whole file here. Here's the thing. Guy Pierce sells me. He does. It's very subtle. It's a lot of facial movements looking around. Yeah. Every once in a while, he'll say, where was I? But there's a lot done just with his his physicality to show that he's disoriented, that he's confused, that he doesn't know where he is. When he wakes up in Natalie's bed, you know, where am I? I I get that just from his performance.
0: And not to show too much of my hand, but he may not be suffering from this condition. He might not be. Now, I will say, Jacob, you said he would be in a mental institution. Wait, what was I saying? (laughs) Are you in character or are you actually asking? We continue to follow Leonard's timeline back and learn Natalie isn't as nice as she seems, insulting Leonard greatly and reveling in the fact he won't remember it. And in fact, learn that Leonard is driving the Jaguar and wearing the suit of Natalie's missing boyfriend, Jimmy, who was a drug dealer. And finally, at the end of the film, in a scene that bridges the forward scenes with the backwards, Leonard killed Jimmy. He was convinced by Teddy that Jimmy was the man who attacked his wife. But during the attack, Leonard becomes suspicious, and Teddy reveals Leonard actually killed the mystery man a year earlier. But, of course, he can't remember it. And so Teddy, a corrupt cop, had used Leonard. He put Leonard on the trail of at least one man, possibly more, convincing him that they were the wife's rapist. And Leonard kills the man and Teddy gets money from a aborted drug deal. Jimmy had brought 200 grand. And then Leonard forgets again and Teddy profits every time. Even more, Teddy insinuates that the rapist or rapist didn't kill Leonard's wife, that she survived the attack, but unable to come to terms with Leonard's memory loss, she tested him by having him repeatedly inject her with insulin until she went into a coma and died. Leonard had lied to himself until he created a fiction that it all happened to a man named Sammy Jankus, and convinced himself that his wife died the night he lost his memory. Faced with this hard truth, Leonard makes a choice. He chooses to forget, and leave himself enough clues so he would eventually think Teddy was the man he'd been seeking. Writing don't believe his lies and Teddy's license plate number down before his memory is gone, we realize the murder we saw in the beginning, was the death of the wrong man, Leonard killing Teddy so Teddy can never tell him that truth again as credits roll.
2: Now, I hate amnesia stories. Arnie, why don't you give us the plot summary to this movie and we can begin or end with (laughs)
0: momentum?
1: Yes, forward, backward, sideways, diagonal. Which way are you going to give us this plot? I'm
0: going to give it kind of like the movie does. I think that's how I have to do it versus last week when I did it chronologically. But this one, I mean, it's in not just backwards. That's the myth of this movie is it's backwards. It's actually told in two parallel timelines. One is going forward chronologically, and that's shown in black and white. And then one is going backwards in color. And the forward one shows our main character, Leonard Shelby, played by Guy Pearce, in his hotel room, talking on the telephone to an unknown person. Leonard tells this mysterious person about his condition. He has what they call anterior grade amnesia, the inability to transfer memories from short-term memory to long-term. A few minutes after something happens, he has no recollection at all. This happened as the result of a blow to his head, suffered when two we, we think, well. I'm sure we'll discuss how many men broke into his house. They raped and murdered his wife and Leonard killed one of the men but the other hit him in the head giving Leonard the brain damage that prevents him from forming new memories. So now Leonard lives his life moment to moment but also on a quest for revenge. The police didn't believe his story about a second assailant and so Leonard has gathered clues and tattooed them on his body so he would remember. And finally we find out that... The phone call he's been having is with a police officer named Teddy. And the color sequences, told backwards, start with Leonard shooting Teddy in the face. And Teddy is played by Joe Pantaleono. Through these backward sequences, we see that Leonard gathered clues indicating Teddy, whose real name is John Gamble, was the second man in the apartment. Leonard got the final bit of evidence from a bartender named Natalie, played by carrie Ann Moss, who looked up a license plate number Leonard had tattooed on his legs. Wait, what was I saying? (laughs) And this is an
2: adaptation of another short story. I think it's a short story. I've never even read the origins of this, but Jonathan Nolan, the younger brother of Chris, was the one that actually kind of came up with the concept.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. I watched the IFC special when I was trying to find the chronological cut. (laughs) I ended up watching a lot of bonus features by accident. And... What happened was his brother told him about a story idea, and Christopher Nolan was like, yeah, that would make a great movie. And long before Jonathan's story ever was printed, this movie was made. So technically, this is an original screenplay, even though the credits say based on the short story. They're similar. The concept is a guy who has short-term memory loss. He has his long-term memories intact, but An event occurred where his wife was raped and killed, and now he can't store short-term memories, and so he goes off trying to find the killer, even though he can't remember for more than 5 to 30 minutes at a time. So that's the same concept. The story plays out very differently. It's almost first person, and it's very, very short. It does not have near the complexity of the movie, but it has some of the same ideas going forward. It's a fun read. It's out there on the web for free if you want to read it. it takes 10 minutes.
2: Wow, that's short. Well, then it's going to be very different. Arnie, why don't you give us the plot summary to this movie and we can begin or end with momentum. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line. I love this movie. Yay, a great movie that we're covering
0: today. How excited am I? This movie I adore. I can't count the number of times I've seen this movie. I saw this in theaters. I was intrigued by the trailers. I didn't know who Christopher Nolan was. I'm still claiming this is his first movie, despite (laughs) the Dollar Baby we reviewed last week.
2: It's his breakout, for sure. No doubt about it. He was put on
0: the map by this film. Yeah, I actually saw it in theaters. Joe Pantaleono, you know, I I like the guy. The trailer looked intriguing, and this Turned me for a period into a big Christopher Nolan fan, much like I was for a while a big Brian Singer fan after usual suspects. And then he made more movies.
2: <laughs> oh, so you're not a Christopher Nolan fan. I didn't know.
0: I don't know what I am. Ask the listeners. I talked about that last week. Some say I'm a Nolan fanboy who can't get over it. Others call me a Nolan hater because of my review of Batman begins. So I, I will not classify myself. I'm, I love Memento. How's that?
2: Yeah, I hopefully we can all agree on that. I mean, this was coming out at the end of a whole decade of noir. It really came back, I think, about David Lynch's Wild at Heart kind of kicking it off. And there was just all these crime movies, killers, serial killers, murderers on the run, uh, non-chronological stories. Tarantino Shadow. Yes, exactly. All of that. Who needed another one? This was the last burst of enthusiasm. The genre had all but played itself out, and then Memento came out. Yeah, in the early part of 2001. I saw it based on all of the pre-release hype, loved it, have never seen it again. The surprising thing is, as much as I was a fan of this, and as much as it demanded re-watching, I just never got around to it until this viewing.
1: I I feel better then, Stuart, because I know you're this super Christopher Nolan fan. I feel like I'm the latecomer. Last week I said it wasn't until really The Dark Knight that I saw Nolan, the director. Before, he had made some films that I enjoyed, but really looking at his body of work. But I saw this. I didn't see it in theaters. I remember hearing about it, like on an interview with him on NPR or something, and I'm like, oh, that movie sounds interesting. Went to my local, the youngins aren't going to get this, but I, it was either a blockbuster or Hollywood video, rented it on DVD and checked it out, and I really liked it. Have never gone back to it, though, for whatever reason. I've been meaning to, and then I knew this retrospective was coming up, so I've kind of put it off for a few months, but yeah, only my second time watching this film.
0: I haven't watched it in a long time, but man, when this came out on DVD, I watched it, Many times I watched it with commentary. I read the short story. I was surfing the website. This is one of those movies that has questions. And it was a big thing to do. I mean, after Blair Witch in 99, to make your website part of the experience. And that's something that you can kind of achieve through the DVDs now or go to webarchive.org. But there's a lot there. Our main character's File was on the website. Clues were on the website. The short story was all there. I mean, I dug into this movie. The collector's edition came out. This movie, we're going to talk a lot about its chronology. It's told backwards. And if you got this collector's edition DVD, of course it's out of print for a less feature laden Blu-ray now, but it even had this movie recut in chronological order. Like we mentioned last week, it did with the following. Everyone wants to know that,
2: right? If you played it in the order that it would have happened, does it make sense? And so in order for me to know that I didn't have access to that DVD cut, I went back to the script. I actually picked up the printed Nolan script and read it in that chronological order. And does it all add up? I would say to a point, but uh, there's some ambiguity here and I'm sure we're going to have a lot of debates about what it all means.
0: Yeah, I will say chronologically it loses impact. A lot of impact. The climax of the film should be at the end. And this is a film much like following that is very much hinges on its reveals like you said Stuart. this is like fight club in a lot of ways and it's one of those that when you see it you want to see it again now that you know the ending and try to piece it together chronologically it doesn't have the dramatic impact nor does it answer any questions any more than just watching the movie twice but it was a nifty experience it's a bonus feature they buried it they advertise it on the box but then it's an easter egg that i had to look up online how to find it was like eight menus deep <laughs> <laughs> of course it was.
1: yeah, I did have a momento experience re-watching this film, you know, we'll get into it, but it's all about memories, and, you know, I haven't seen this. Gosh, in almost 15 years, 13 years, something like that. And I thought I remembered the film and I'm watching. It, I'm like, wait, my memory is totally messing me up because I thought this film went one way and it's going a different way. I just, I, I thought it was interesting because we'll, we'll get into it. So much stuff about memory and, and creating our stories in our past. And I was doing that as I was watching it, trying to remember my first experience. And my memory is not as reliable as I'd like to think it is.
2: And this is an adaptation of
0: another short story. Have I told you this before? I'm Arnie, co host of Now Playing. Stuart in LA.
1: And this is the host that regularly mixes up my laundry list with my grocery list, and I end up eating my underwear for breakfast. Jacob.
0: <laughs> I love that line. Today we're discussing Memento, starring Guy Pierce, Carrie Ann Moss, Joe Pantaleono, directed by Christopher Nolan. Have I told you this before?
3: Are you sure you want this?
1: Have I told you what this man did?
3: Yeah. Well, then you shouldn't have to ask. Listener discretion is advised. I always thought the pleasure of a book was in wanting to know what happens next. This podcast is spoiler-filled and may contain harsh language. Now we're getting somewhere. Hosted by Arnie, Jacob, and Stuart. You say we talked before? I don't remember that. Today, we are reviewing Christopher Nolan's Memento.
1: We met before, right? I don't remember.
3: Welcome to Now Playing, the Movie Review Podcast. I have this condition. It's my memory. Amnesia. No, 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 no. It's different from that. I have no short-term memory. I know who I am. I know all about myself. I just... Since my injury, I can't make new memories. Everything fades. If we talk for too long, I'll forget how we started. Next time I see you, I'm not going to remember this conversation. (laughs) I don't even know if I've met you before.